Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Science, Technology, and Society, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Sneha Anavarapu, the host of this channel. Today, we'll be talking to Govind Gopakumar about his new book, Installing Automobility, Emerging Politics of Mobility and Streets in Indian Cities. This was published by MIT Press in April 2020, so it's hot off the press. Um, Govind is an associate professor and chair of the Center for Engineering and Society at Concordia University. Congrats, Govind, on this fantastic book, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Sneha. Uh, And thank you so much for your kind words about the book. Um, Well, before we get into the book, um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, perhaps how you became an an STS scholar, I guess. Sure. Um, So, uh, you know, as as things go, uh, it, it wasn't a planned uh, process. I never planned to become an SDS scholar. Um, uh, I have a background in engineering, um, and but then during the process of of doing engineering, always wanted to get a sense, and I think that's related to uh, an underlying kind of thread of um, uh, of politics of technology in Indian society. You know, uh, harking back to Gandhi. Um, and I think there was there was a sense that you know a sense of dissatisfaction with engineering education and with technology education in in general. And I think uh, when I came to STS, I think it was um, uh, uh, I was very happy to be part of a, a set of scholars uh, uh, who who kind of drunk the same Kool Aid, so, so to speak. <laughs> Um, uh, but within STS uh, itself, I think there have been, you know, different threads, um, uh, science, technology uh, and society, science and technology studies. And I think, you know, science and technology studies have tried to classify and think, categorize themselves as an emerging kind of discipline, very similar to sociology and anthropology. Um, uh, and so create a canon of it. Uh, canon um, set of concepts, um, key authors that uh, emerging scholars have to read and and cite and conform to, and I th- um, I think that that was great. I think some of these concepts have, have certainly been very uh, interesting. But I think there's there's also an uh, another set of scholarship that comes out of what has come to be called an engaged program of SDS, and you know folks who are interested in in the politics of, you know, techno-scientific politics. And um, uh, and I think that's where I identify myself. Um, at least um, that's one aspect of my identification with STS. But I'm also yeah. interested in, in folks who are now talking about, you know, uh, the engagement between area studies and STS. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, folks who are interested in, um, in, in looking at non-Western uh, experiences with technoscience and with 
um, you know, doing field work in non, um, um, you know, some of the the hallmarks of area studies of of doing field work of learn of learning language and of um, becoming familiar with alternate socio political developments um, in other settings. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, thanks uh, for that. Um, I was hoping that you could uh, also tell us a little bit about how this book was conceived or how this project unfolded. Um, what is the story of this book, I guess? Sure. Um, so I think um, uh, the book, I think, began from, it's got two or three sources. Um, mm-hmm. um, one has been, uh, I think, for the last 10, 15 years or so, has been uh, my interest in uh, in kind of politics of urban infrastructure uh, and how STS and, you know, focusing on the material, technological, uh, artifactual nature of infrastructure uh, and, and looking at what kind of, what kinds of politics do you, um, uh, do paying attention to technology reveals in, in how infrastructure is organized. Um, <clears throat> so that's one kind of source where I, I I see this book coming from another um, uh, another source I uh, I guess would be um, um, some uh, support that I um, received from the the Social Science and Humanities Research Council some years ago um, uh, to do a project on decongesting infrastructures and and so you know this. Uh, when I was when I began doing this project, I think I was more interested in in kind of large scale projects that one uh, has seen in, in in urban India for the last uh, ten years or so of these kind of large scale projects uh, of uh, urban rejuvenation and um, uh, and infrastructure development. Uh, and so this this project sought to kind of study that. Um, uh, I at that point I wasn't thinking of uh, automobility per se, but then um, I, I began in the in the course of working on this project. I also began kind of working with grassroots groups in uh, in um, Bengaluru. Um, uh, it used to be called Bangalore, um, mm-hmm. uh, and. And in the process of working with groups, uh, environmental and social gr- groups, and especially more recently uh, with uh, the Bangalore Bus Commuter Forum, I think it, be- it became increasingly clear that how mobility was being organized in uh, in Bangalore, uh, I think, uh, when I started kind of uh, writing a few articles, I think it all just crystallized together into this this idea that there's something going on here much more systemically. Um, Um, So coming to the book, uh, let me just start by saying that the book is so beautifully written and is so full of engaging ethnographic material. It was a complete pleasure to read. And as someone who's been to Bangalore and works on mobility in a comparable Indian city, Hyderabad, I found it to be very provocative and extremely insightful. Um, So thank you for that. Um, I also found it really interesting that you make a case for thinking through congestion as a historical, sociopolitical, and technological condition. And in explicating the historical continuities and discontinuities in the narrative of congestion in urban India, you draw this uh, compelling distinction between 
quantitative conceptions of congestion and qualitative conceptions of congestion. Um, I was hoping that you could share with our listeners what these conceptions are and why they are important to clarify and contend with. Sure, sure. No, that's it's great that you picked up on that. Um, and I think um, uh, uh, these are important distinctions that I draw, and I think they're they're foundational to how I present the argument in the book. Um, so as I see it, um, uh, I see uh, kind of qualitative conceptions of congestion as what you find in kind of histories of um, uh, of cities and of movement in Indian cities. So when going back to colonial times and you understand how, um, um, you know, colonial observers would look at, at roads and streets in, uh, in Indian cities and look at the kind of the, what they would think of as the chaos on, on Indian streets. And, mm-hmm. and this chaos would be because, you know, uh, um, you know, these were, you know, British colonials who would compare um, Indian streets from their perspective and they would see, you know, um, animals, um, multiple forms of vehicles, um, people's jostling for space and um, all, all of this happening uh, at the same time on, on, on the streets. And so um, along with this, this kind of perception of congestion and of chaos uh, on, the, in, on, in, on these colonial Indian streets came this conception that this congestion was because of the inability of, uh, of these colonial Indians to, to actually not be able to behave in, in a civilized modern fashion on Indian mm-hmm. streets. And so this kind of qualitative conception is related to the inability of Indians to behave. Um, uh, and to be disciplined on uh, on Indian streets, mm-hmm. and then moving to the the post colonial context, and especially in the last twenty thirty years, you see that this kind of qualitative conception has completely dropped away in popular and policy discourse, and it's been kind of replaced by this quantitative con- conception of automotive explosion. On mm-hmm. Indian streets, where now um, international media, be it international media or national media, is, the talk of congestion is almost solely centered on the enormous growth of um, personal automobiles. Um, right. So, on last count, I think there there are like two hundred million vehicles um, uh, crawling all over uh, Indian streets. And and so this quantitative conception is about oh the problem is with automotive explosion, and so uh, when I see the the shift that happened in a in a very short period of time in in say in thirty forty years, this shift from a qualitative conception of congestion to a quantitative conception of congestion, it draws me to kind of think that the it, the explanation to explain this kind of shift is not just the the proximate explanation would be oh there's there's been a traffic explosion and there's there's lots of vehicles now i think there's more to it and that more to it is the fact that i think there is this kind of technopolitical project of automobility that's installed itself in mm-hmm. indian streets and and with it has come this kind of this shift in the discourse. 
uh, of congestion. Right. That's uh, that's really interesting and provocative, and makes me think about how maybe with the installation of automobility, the qualitative conception has uh, become a little more, I guess, biopolitical in the sense that there are these qualitative associations of Indians as not yet being civilized, but they they take a tone of road safety or injury, um, at least in what I had observed in um, in India myself. So I was very struck by this distinction and how productive it is to think through these frameworks. Um, Interesting. Yeah, no, I, um, uh, yes. You're right. Um, uh, I think this, this, um, you know, um, you're you're uh, you're absolutely right in saying that um, uh, you know these qualitative conceptions have now, in some sense, been incorporated into these quantitative conceptions. So, at one level, uh, that is that is absolutely true. Um, but at the same time, I think when it comes to, and you and I know of this, when, you know, making arguments, you, you look for straw men. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, you're, you're right. Um, um, and, you know, uh, how um, Indians drive and uh, the ability of Indians to drive. And I think there's been some fascinating work, including yours, I, I might add, that, that seems to kind of look at... Um, uh, driving and and recently I think there's another anthropologist who speaks of drivery. Um, um, so the, the, there is certainly a lot of interesting kind of cultural um, aspects that can be mined through this, um, no doubt. Yeah, and I, I mean, um, I, I I just meant to say that I think that the quantitative co- conception of congestion is definitely true, um, and I could see the shift, and I was very very uh, struck by that. It just um, made me think of the different ways in which one could uh, conceive of this quantitative qualitative divide across uh, all sorts of um, issues re- related to automobility. So, um, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, so, in chapter two, you make an assertion that the paradigm that structures urban mobility and its governance today can be characterized as a regime of congestion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was. Uh, I was wondering why the term regime uh, and what are the implications of this paradigm in the way we think about um, governance and urban governance in India today? Sure, sure. Um, And so, um, uh, yes, I think um, uh, in the the main body of my my book, um, this is one of the main chapters where I make a, a key point, which is that the the process of installing automobility has happened through kind of uh, a few simultaneous thrusts, uh, if you will. Um, And this kind of constellation of automobility, one key aspect that um, speaks to the ordering of automobility is what I call the regime of, of congestion. And so I could think of this as being a paradigm of how congestion is ordered in, in Bangalore particularly, but I, one could think of this as operating um, uh, similarly in, in some other metropolitan cities also. And so as a regime, I'm, uh, I'm thinking, um, um, you know, I draw upon, I think, the work of uh, Gabrielle Hecht's understanding of technopolitical regimes. Um, uh, and I, in doing so, I think um, uh, I'm closely allying with how she thinks of regimes as being 
kind of orders um, that have political manifestations, but these orders are assembled through um, uh, and have technological and, and social and institutional and discursive elements kind of um, um, wrapped in them. Uh, and and through this, I think it articulates a, a, a political thrust towards, in this case, how congestion is being uh, ordered and the kinds of solutions that are being produced uh, to address congestion. And and why I think of this as being a regime is, in in some sense, it not only generates solutions, but as you, uh, when you read the book, you also get a sense that these uh, solutions of um, that address the question of uh, the of congestion also, in some sense, contains the seeds for reproducing the regime itself. Uh, and so, in the process of um, uh, creating solutions, where different actors come to the idea that you know the problem is that. Um, in the latter phase of this um, of this congestion, the problem is that we now have an automotive explosion on on the streets of Bangalore, and how does one resolve that? We resolve that by putting on the road these low floor air conditioned buses. Because why do we do that? Because the the folks who are comfortably traveling in their cars, we need to get them to move towards public transit. And what better way of doing that by providing more comfortable transit, air-conditioned transit for them to travel on? But this has actually had the the reverse effect, where by um, dedicating resources to these low-floor AC buses, you actually reduce the number of ordinary non-air-conditioned buses on the same routes, and thereby creating more congested and more crowded buses, often forcing, uh, in most cases, in many many cases, women to contend with, you know, unsafe travel on buses and thereby, you know, know, uh, ensuring that more people decide, uh, we've we've had enough by traveling in these these crowded buses, let's actually decide to buy a two-wheeler or a car and use that instead, because that way we're we are saving ourselves from harassment on the buses or saving ourselves from being you know shoved and pushed in in these really crowded buses and so it, it actually has the reverse effect uh, by actually pushing more people towards driving um, rather than getting more people from who are driving to go towards buses yeah i mean that uh... That sounds very familiar. <laughs> the reverse effects um, are very familiar to a lot of urban policies, I think, in Indian cities. Um, so I think this links really well to one of the core concepts of your book, which is automotive citizenship, uh, which you re- refer to as a mobile belonging on the road that reifies social inequalities. And um, I was uh, wondering how you were conceiving a uh, Automotive citizenship, and if you could share some thoughts on that. Sure, sure. Um, so, like I said, this is um, another of those thrusts that um, I speak of that um, uh, goes towards installing um, the constellation of automobility in the city. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of of citizenship here uh, as 
more of a, a kind of a performance that's staged in the process of moving and traversing the city. Mm-hmm. And in the process of traversing and moving the city and, and kind of staging this performance, you're also engaging in acts of political participation um, and you're enrolling materiality of the, uh, of the road space, of infrastructures, of social media in, in um, kind of enfranchising um, the automotive um, public. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in, in doing this, I think I'm, I'm drawing upon um, recent kind of literature in, in several fields, in several uh, kind of disparate fields of citizenship studies, of um, science and technology studies, um, but also of mobility studies. And I, I, mm-hmm. I think in doing that and bringing them together, I, uh, I see um, citizenship as, as, a, as a political act. And uh, in this case, the, the installation of automobility is, that, uh, is the act that results from the exercise of, uh, of citizenship, of participation in the process of moving around. And so, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, some of the material that I've, I've relied on is, is looking at social media, as um, looking at narratives in social media on Twitter, um, on the Twitter handles of, um, of traffic enforcement officers and how they perceive who, who are the, the, um, uh, the people that they're addressing, the, mm-hmm. the citizenry that they're attra- addressing in, um, as they try to navigate the, you know, the congested um, um, traffic settings on, on everyday streets. I'm also, I also look at um, kind of infrastructure designs and, and everyday practices of parking, of driving. And, and this, you know, you, you find on many Indian streets, egregious acts of driving on sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of parking on sidewalks and, yeah. and you know how does one explain all these kinds of disparate acts and also of you know things like installing and you see that in in the southwest corner of Bangalore where you mm-hmm. have this enormous kind of uh, interchange of two um, uh, major um, uh, arterial roads and so one of them is the inner ring road which is a uh, uh, is a highway, uh, and then the Mysore Road, uh, which is a, a major radial road in 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 the city. And where they intersect, uh, it's also a point where uh, uh, there's a metro station there. Uh, and so, if you look at ground ground level below the the interchange, above on the interchange, you have these you know these uh, these beautiful roads for. Um, um, for cars and vehicles to travel smoothly and seamlessly across these interchanges. But at the same time, when you look at road level uh, and you get a very different sense of the infrastructure available for pedestrians, for, um, you know, pushcart vendors, for um, bicyclists, uh, and you get the sense of, you know, you're spending this enormous amounts of money and embedding so much of concrete into this roadscape here. And you don't have, you don't want to spend even uh, a residual amount of time in, in designing the roadscape for these people. It's, it gives you a sense of the priorities of who are the people that, uh, that are being franchised, uh, being enfranchised through these, 
these developments. Um, uh, and so I've I've tried to kind of tease that out in this chapter and and think of this as being um, uh, as being a political act of enfranchising the automotive public in the city. Yeah, um, and just to follow up, I was wondering about how much of the automotive public do you, I mean, do you think there's a difference in which uh, a, a two-wheeler rider, like the rider of a scooter or a motorcycle, inhabits this citizenship uh, and uh, that of like maybe somebody who drives a car? Like, um, mm. are there subtle differences in the way uh people imagine themselves or even the traffic enforcement officers were they addressing car drivers specifically or was it just an automotive uh, automotive public in general um you're right uh, i i think you know there is a there is a uh, uh, there's a there's clearly a hierarchy of privilege here um mm-hmm. and i think you know when um when um uh, when traffic enforcement officers uh, put out um, a poll for, you know, after they have um, blocked a a median break uh, uh, on a radial road, they put out this poll and they asked for, you know, do you think this was a good measure to prevent um, (laughs) U-turns on this road and allow, allow, you know, um, again, seamless through uh, movement uh, of traffic? And who yeah. are the people who are making these U-turns? It's mostly two-wheelers. Those are right. the ones who are, you know, weaving through and in and out of traffic. And so I think the subtext is clearly um, mm. that these developments are meant primarily for um, um, for four-wheelers, for those who drive cars. And the bigger the car, the more kind right. of prestige you have. Um, and, and so related to this is also kind of, um uh the presence of apps um traffic um the traffic eye app if i'm not mistaken um mm-hmm. which allows um you know um every driver to be um a vigilante a traffic vigilante if you mm-hmm. will in in ensuring that people um stick to the rules and uh, and are not um you know parking or or overtaking or uh, or engaging in rash acts of driving uh, and given the uh, the uh, the breakup of you know the amount of two wheelers on on city roads versus the number of cars one can imagine that most of these these kinds of uh, vigilant acts of uh, traffic vigilantism must be directed towards Two wheelers, um, the ones who are uh, accused of weaving in and out of traffic and and engaging in rash acts of of you know of um, uh, rash acts on the road. Um, so I I'd, I'd imagine yes, you're you're right. I think there there clearly is a, a differentiation in who the automotive citizen is, um, mm-hmm. and within this this. Uh, this uh, idea of the automotive citizen, I think there's there's clearly a lot of internal differentiation, um, uh, but but within uh, that being said, I think when comparing that to the pedestrian or to the right. the cyclist, I think there's 
there's a lot more of or even the bus uh, 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 the bus um, passenger i think there's mm-hmm. there's a lot more of a distinction of who owns the road uh, mm-hmm. and that becomes very clear when you look at social media um, uh, feeds um, you do get a sense of you know the road being or when you're talking about traffic you're talking primarily of automotive traffic you're not talking about you know the the problems that pedestrians face on the roads um that rarely comes across um in these yeah, uh, I mean, I think that's absolutely uh, true, even of Hyderabad, that see very similar dynamics play out. Um, and in Chapter 4, you propose the approach infrastructure scape in order to locate infrastructures, and I quote you, as a vital elements within an active urban landscape that is embedded with the power to shape how the urban commuter comes to grips with the mobility in the city. Now, on a personal note, this conception helped me think a lot about urban infrastructure in a in a new and exciting manner. So uh, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And um, you also, uh, I found it really interesting that you showed three cases of how infrastructure scapes of decongestion vary within Bangalore along what you call technological sensibility, organizing principles and normative orientation. So um, I was curious to know how you thought about this variation and how this variation can be helpful, not just in thinking anthropologically or sociologically, but also in thinking about political responses to challenge uh, automobilities, hegemonic impulses. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, and clearly, I, uh, when we get to the, the conclusion of the book, I think um, uh, uh, this um, uh, the political activism is what I think we yeah. need to be focusing on in thinking of alternate paradigms of mobility in cities and and unlocking automobility. Mm-hmm. But I but I think you know um, what what uh, one of the other uh, thrusts in the, in this book is of paying attention to landscapes and landscapes of infrastructure that have been assembled. Um, in a city like Bangalore, um, in in doing that, I think I'm I'm harking back to the notion that landscapes have been are imbued with power, and mm-hmm. they're imbued with the power to shape the the perspectives of the um, uh, of the commuter of um, of how people view um, what they see around themselves um, yeah, on the city, um, mm-hmm. and so. In doing that, and I'm thinking of how is it that this power is being mobilized? Uh, and that's where I think I have tried to kind of uh, borrow literature again from um, from science and technology studies, especially in active network theory and um, uh, mobility studies in, in thinking of this notion, this kind of this perspectival kind of approach to um, looking at infrastructures on the city, infrastructures on streets, um, um, infrastructures of mobility, especially in, in, in a city like Bangalore, where you have um, overpasses, underpasses, flyovers, expressways, tollways, you know, you name it, yes. these have been encrusted onto the landscape. Uh, and, you know, it's, um, it's interesting in in addition to that you now have thrust towards 
new forms of more complete street. So borrowing from the complete street movement, um, you have this this uh, need to kind of uh, create an artificial partition on street space so that you have, you know, clearly demarcated um, sidewalks, spaces for kind of leisure cycling, for um, for bus travel, as well as for um, automotive movement. Um, uh, and so this, um, uh, I'm not sure if uh, some of your readers are familiar with, but examples like the tender shore roads in Bangalore. Mm-hmm. So these are, so, um, you know, one of the things that uh, the new middle classes often uh, envy is the fact that um, uh, roads in, in Western contexts have such clear partitioning of the uh, of road uses, um, as opposed to um, you know streets and Indian streets are uh, are a lot more fluid in their usage patterns mm-hmm. of uh, who gets to use them, and uh, and this in some sense have uh, has uh, has resulted in efforts to kind of reorder streets. So all of this, you know, thinking of uh, these different efforts and uh, what are the kind of political objectives of these efforts, I, I propose this kind of uh, this landscape kind of approach to thinking of what are the poten- uh, political potentialities uh, associated with these efforts. So when mm-hmm. you think of uh, these massive uh, infrastructure projects of flyovers and and uh, and expressways, who is benefiting from them, and what are the uh, you know what is the role that um, uh, city, um, but more more than city, state government um, and you know chief ministers and ministers for Bangalore, uh, what kind of mileage do they derive from this? Um, uh, and so, in in looking at government advertisements, in looking at popular um, publicity, government publicity material. You get a sense of, you know, what is the the kind of um, normative orientation that underlies um, uh, these efforts, and what are the the kinds of sensibilities, the technological sensibilities associated with um, with these these massive projects? You know, these massive projects. Uh, I'm, I make the argument are are efforts to kind of create this sense of stewardship. Not so much as solving the problem, but so much as creating an image for the leader as being the steward of um, imagining a new Bangalore, of uh, of imagining a Bangalore that will be global, uh, at least being um, overtly global, if not, you know, uh, although the calculus is still very much a very provincial kind of calculus. So I, I try to kind of tease these different themes apart in in and and I use this landscape metaphor to uh, kind of bring that apart to to look at how um, um, uh, leaving these large legacies is you know in a, in a fashion very similar to Robert Moses you could say mm-hmm. in New York City uh, of leaving these kind of larger than life legacies. And at the same time, you have the new middle classes who want to, you know, partner with with the government apparatus in in proposing these new uh, uh, kind of measures that they've learned from, um, you know, the complete street movements, from efforts in in, in Western, in trying to create the world class city. 
Um, and so there are all these kinds of diverse thrusts that are, are trying to reshape the landscape. And at the same time, you have this subaltern group who is, who is trying to you know, do small little things of carving out spaces that are protected from, the, uh, from takeover by automobiles and by, uh, you know, by the rush of traffic. Um, and so you have these kind of bolsters and sorry, no, not uh, bollards, uh, sorry, not yeah, bolsters, yeah. bollards that have been struck on the, uh, struck into grounds, you know, um, neighborhoods that are trying to keep the traffic at bay in some sense. So there are all these small kinds of movements, but these remain very fragmented and very s- scattered. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and overall you have this kind of hegemonic kind of landscape of, of the, you know, the big provincial, I mean, the big uh, state governments and their efforts to kind of make traffic movement um, smoother. Yeah, and, uh, you know, in my own work, and I think in uh, work on streets before this, uh, one can very often see that there's a voluble middle-class desire for pedestrianization, uh, but that desire often rests on the erasure and exclusion of hawkers and vendors on the street. Mm. However, um, in Chapter 7 of your book, uh, you paint a much more nuanced picture of the possible political alliances being formed by these two groups of pedestrians and street vendors against this sort of hegemonic uh, automobility in Bengaluru. And um, And you do mention and talk about the role of digital technologies in making possible these alliances. And I was hoping you could uh, say uh, some more about that. So um, I, it's great that you pointed that out. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm. If that is the impression I, I left, I'm. Um, uh, that I would like to apologize for that because I'm. I'm thinking some of my colleagues back in in Bangalore, if mm-hmm. they heard this, they would. They would. Uh, they might squirm a bit uh, because I, I I think an alliance is is something that I feel exists possibilities for alliance mm-hmm. exist and I I think you know um, in, in the case of I think some of this uh, I was referring to in in this chapter was mm-hmm. as I see it kind of incipient possibilities for for kind of cross class. Um, and cross-cultural kind of alliances that exist mm-hmm. between middle-class groups, um, um, you know, kind of formerly um, automotive franchised groups, but at the same time also um, uh, efforts by pro-poor um, groups like the Bus Commuter Forum and the possibility for creating these kinds of alliances. And and mm-hmm. one example of that that seemed to indicate that this was still a possibility in Bangalore was the protests associated and associated with the steel flyover. Um, right. So, um, you know, it's, it was bad enough that there are enough flyovers. Now the... the <laughs> Um, the state government was proposing, you know, we need to come up with a steel flyover, a flyover made entirely of steel, kind of, you know, 15 kilometers long or something like that, all the way to the airport. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this, I think, got to the point where everyone was like, you know, we've seen enough of this. We don't need one more of this. Um, and, and, And so there, there was a, there was an interesting moment there where I think there were efforts by uh, um, um, a, almost a kind of a rainbow of different groups 
who mm-hmm. came together trying to contest this and contest the the paradigm, the underlying kind of paradigm associated with this um, with this effort. Um, but then, as I point out in in the chapter, mm-hmm. the 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 government did cancel the the contract uh, and the tender for the steel flyover. In I think it was in 2018, but then two years down the road, um, a new government came along and said, "You know, we 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 need to actually lo- relook at this, and relook at this as not just one steel flyover, but actually think right. of multiple flyovers." <laughs> so, you know, the, this never ends. And um, but but I I think there are some possibilities. I think we're we're grasping for straws in some sense. And, right. uh, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, trying to end a book, um, I, you know, you look for possi- possibilities and positive aspects. And I, I, I suspect that there might be something there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I didn't uh, mean to suggest that it's already happening. But to me also, I think as a hopeful reader, uh, right. uh, it was... It was, uh, it was a nuanced, I think, take on possibilities of um, something. And I, like you said, grasping for straws, I guess. <laughs> and as someone who's been working for this, I think even I was looking for a story of somewhat of hope and optimism in the face of these kinds of mega infrastructure projects. <laughs> um, right. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you were just mentioning that uh, some of the people that you spoke to might uh, squirm at some of this, but uh, <laughs> which really got me thinking. Uh, have the people that you spoke to and spent time with have they got a chance to see some of the more final material or the draft versions of the book? Um, yes, um, um, you know, I think this was part of a long conversation that's been going on, and mm-hmm. I think there were there were a couple of things that happened. Um, you know, in in between the book having come together, I think um, I've also had the opportunity of directing a film called The Social mm-hmm. Life of a Bus, which I uh, I kind of directed and produced with um, uh, the Bangalore Bus Commuter Forum. And through uh, the process of filming and uh, and showing them the film and then having conversations around that, Mm-hmm. I think there was a sense of what the book was going to be about. I, I think that we've also had some other efforts of of working together, um, uh, and those have been very fruitful. Um, I think they've been fruitful. The other aspect about this book, and and for that, I have to I have great thanks to MIT Press for making this book open source, uh, open mm-hmm. access. Um, uh, and so uh, the book is free to download on the website, on their website. And this, for this, I have to thank MIT Press as well as um, um, uh, funding from the Arcadia um, Foundation. I think it's a private philanthropic uh, gift that uh, MIT Press has received, and I'm um, I'm very thankful to them to have uh, extended that to to my book. Um, and so with that has, I have shared the book with um, um, folks that I've come to rely on for this, for writing this book. And I, I think they have by and large been quite positive about it. Um, 
about uh, the final product and 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 the fact that it is open access that allows them to you know too much of research that's done in India by Western trained and Western based scholars is of kind of helicoptering of of coming in speaking mm-hmm. with with people who's who ha, who re, who lead busy lives and who are sharing so much of information with uh, with us as scholars and and very little of that gets transmitted back um and so that's one of the thing as part of this engaged kind of program of STS one of the things that i wanted to ensure through my interaction was to make sure that you know this book as well as the the film and other efforts have been shared with um uh, those who who taken so much pains in in helping produce i mean that's fantastic and it's you know it's uh, really inspiring that you did this because uh, i keep thinking about that as well and this is it's a really good template and model for uh, some of us younger scholars to follow uh, so that's that's really um, heartwarming to know <laughs> yeah um, you know one can't acknowledge enough and i i think i've i've um i have acknowledged in the beginning of the book um my sources in in bangalore and you know there even i i must acknowledge uh, i know i'm kind of taking this interview in a in a different direction but i i think i need to acknowledge the city i think bangalore mm-hmm. has been fulsome in in giving so much to this book uh, you know there's there's much in in the city that i think i've benefited from you know just just being able to wander those traffic choked streets is is rich mm-hmm. has been rich um uh, for um, rich for thought and in uh, in provoking this book also yeah and i guess when you're stuck in traffic i'm sure you thought about the book a lot <laughs> know, you've, bus and you've crawled five <laughs> centimeters in the last one hour <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know your previous book was uh, or your uh, your previous work has been comparative in nature and i right. was uh, wondering if you were ever tempted to do a comparative book even with this like were you thinking of uh, thinking beyond bangalore in a sense um you know i, I yes i i did think mm-hmm. of this but i you know um unfortunately you don't have the same freedom that you did when you were a graduate student and right. that was one of the things that you you come to realize when you're you're working on your next project after that that mm-hmm. you know you have to make do with short stints and and bursts uh, while you try to balance teaching with all of the other things that are happening in in professional and personal life um mm-hmm. uh, and so um you know doing a comparative work would have required far more um expenditure of time i did actually think quite seriously of doing um uh, a comparative work between chennai and bangalore but mm-hmm. um but logistically as well as conceptually i i you know when i was doing the initial work of doing doing it comparatively i i think there's there's a lot of scholarship on comparative um you know social science research um mm-hmm. i am you know i'm i'm now torn between whether that would have been appropriate here um I I just feel so much happier that I got the time to do this kind of in-depth thing in yeah. one city. I know I'm not sure how representative 
in in some sense, Bangalore is not representative because Bangalore, in some sense, has some very unique kind of social, political, and technological uh, uh, environmental features that lend it, uh, lends itself to this kind of unique form of automobility. But if you take a city like Hyderabad, and I, I, I don't know too much about it, but I, I'm imagining that something similar when, when it comes to mm. things like automotive citizenship or, or kind of infrastructure scapes of, of automobility, of kind of regimes of congestion must be must be at play. I mean, they may be differently mm-hmm. articulated. They may have been inserted differently in histories of how congestion have been conceived in in, in a city like uh, Hyderabad. There may be other um, um, political infrastructural differences. But but I think the one thing that you can take away from uh, from my book would be these concepts, these kinds of traveling concepts of um, automotive citizenship of infrastructure scapes um, mm. of quantitative and qualitative conceptions of congestion um, um, yeah and um, and also the, there was this chapter where I speak of kind of uh, the uh, the content the contestation of congestion um, mm. and of in, of automobility and and so I introduce concepts of congestion and affordance in mm-hmm. in thinking about the, the affordance uh, associated with infrastructure development and the congestions that crop up when you actually when infrastructures are put in place and they displace you know um, um, the urban fabric and when you do that there are all these kinds of congestions that crop up in situ um, uh, and so right. that again those those concepts may be useful, but the dynamic of these these congestions may be very different. Or even a shabby automobility, which That's I right. quite like. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So I, I think the shabbiness of automobility, I, I'm, you know, you, you know, you you see that everywhere in, yeah. in in India. I think the messiness, the the kind of contestations associated with, you know, in 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 the case of Bangalore, multiple. Um, agencies that exist, multiple government agencies at the state, provincial government, at city level that exist that have a stake in in infrastructure. But at the same time, there are all kinds of other, you know, um, like I show in, in in that chapter of you know flooding of um, uh, uh, of temples and religiosity and of you know of um, uh, local understandings of political leadership, all of that kind of plays a role in creating congestions that no one who would have thought of developing the, this flyover would have foreseen in in, in putting this um, in place. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I think we've taken up so much of your time and I've uh, found this such an engaging and informative interview. So thank you for that. But before I let you go, mm-hmm. um, I would love to know what you're working on right now and what we may expect to see in print or film in the <laughs> near future. Sure. Um, so it's, it's great that you bring this up because um, uh, I've, uh, I'll be leading a, a project that um, uh, has just got started 
And mm-hmm. it's a project that I'm really excited about. And it's being supported by the Social Science and Humanities Research Council in Canada. And uh, it's a project on constituting Indian urban mobility um, uh, in the context of automobility. So I'm, I'm interested, along with my graduate student and with um, uh, 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 three other co-investigators, to look at mm-hmm. kind of multiple regimes of mobility that exist that contend with automobility. So looking at livelihood cycling, looking mm-hmm. at um, wending, um, at pedestrians, um, and and at uh, at public transit travel, bus travel, uh, and mm-hmm. looking at how these contend with automobility. Um, uh, how are these being articulated in the context of automobility? How are these being uh, um, assembled? What are their their um, kinds of dynamics of their constitution? Um, that and then uh, my graduate student wants to kind of uh, investigate that further and look at um, you know the relation between these mega transport, mega rapid transit systems, metros, and with kind of lived slow mobilities that one's one uh, finds on on Indian streets. So that's mm-hmm. that's a project that will hopefully result in, in, in we're thinking in in a film and potentially in a in an edited volume or uh, a set of workshops um, with. Um, scholars like yourself, and with um, uh, <laughs> and with um, you know stakeholders um, uh, in in trying to think of mobility and how it, it is being articulated um, in, in Indian in, in cities. So you know, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, that's what is coming up next. Well, that's great. I mean, I'm so glad that this interview has turned into a potential workshop with me. So I'm excited. <laughs> but uh govin thank you so much for taking time out and uh chatting with me today and i'm sure our listeners have really enjoyed this interview thank you and hope you uh, stay safe and stay well during these stressful times thank you so much and the same to you too